Your Majesty, your humble Scottish servant. That is correct. He is my most humble Scottish servant. Oh, and who are you? I am Queen Victoria, and I am very big in England. Oh, Your Majesty, Queen Victoria, I'm sorry I did not recognize you the moment that I saw you, but now I've seen you look a fine queen, the finest I've ever seen. Kneel! Kneeling, your majesty. Hand me my dabber, Mr. Brown. Oh, this is a great honor, your majesty. I dub thee, Mr. Arise, Mr. William McGonagall, poet This week, my guest and I are talking about a film, uh, a a very particular film, a film about which it is said that Truffaut, upon seeing the film for the first time, broke down and wept. Uh, No, he didn't, actually. Um, I'd like to think he did, but no, no, he didn't. Um, I'm sure Truffaut has never seen The Great McGonagall from 1974. Uh, But, you know, uh, I was just trying to add a little bit of colour. My guest is uh, returning. It's Phil Cannon from the Who's He podcast, the Doctor Who podcast. Uh, And Phil came along to talk about this 1974 film starring Spike Milligan and his very good friend, Peter Sellers. Do I join a select club of returning guests? Yeah, yeah, there's been been a handful. (laughs) There's been a handful. Um, But generally speaking, it's been people that have uh, come on and talked about an actual goon show. And then they've come back as you are, to talk about a film or something that's not a goon show. Uh, but oh, before we start, I just want to point mm. out that both Phil and I, uh, we're not, I wouldn't say we're under the weather, but we've, we've, we're, we're, we're talking in a slightly uh, deeper register than we normally yes. would. Yes, well, um, we're a couple of octaves lower than normal, aren't we? So. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, um, uh, you know, I hope any ladies listening don't think that we sound too sexy. We'll try, try to keep it. That's been a common problem of mine. Now. It's been too sexy. <laughs> yeah. um, so, Phil, you asked to come on and talk about the film, The Great McGonagall. Mm-hmm. Um, why this particular movie? Well, I think because, A, it's a film actually starring Spike Milligan. I think the only other film I can think of the top of my head that he starred in was Postman's Knock. Yeah. So we 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 he was the you know that the headline um, yeah. actor for the film. So, um, and I think because it's a film that's not really been discussed, and there's not a lot of information out there about it. If if I'm if I'm not 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 that I could find. I know we might come onto that a bit a bit later, but um, even in some of the sort of biographies about Spike Milligan, it's almost like a footnote rather than any sort of genuine in depth um, discussion about the film, which which I found really bizarre. Because I thought, yeah. you know, it, it, it's his film. It's been, it's almost like a, um, I suppose you could say, a passion project of his. Because um, I think of my, and I was sort of going back to the, the beginning there, but wasn't he introduced to the the poems of William J. McGonagall? Well, it's not William J, it's William T. T- Topaz, Topaz McGonagall. Topaz. I don't know where the J came from, actually. Uh, but Peter Sellers 
introduced him to the works of McGonagall in about 1956. If I'm yeah, right. and, and there was a character who would turn up in the Goon Show called McGoonagall, oftentimes yes. played by Sellers. Yeah. So was it William J. McGoonagall, poet, tragedian, and twit? That's it. That's yes. the one. Yes. yes. Yeah, you're right. It doesn't. It it didn't get a proper release. It was. Well, it might as well just. I was going to come to this later. I'll come to it now. Yeah. It was a bit of a. It was. It was made as a sort of a tax write-off. <laughs> yeah, was, that that was interesting. <laughs> it was. It was produced by um, the British pornographer David yeah. Grant, who I'd never heard of before. Honest. I've never heard of before. Um, <laughs> yeah, I must say, I'm not. I'm not familiar with his work. I've got to be honest. <laughs> no, and um, but I was looking at some of the titles of some of the things. Here's an interesting thing, actually. And I was, I'm yeah. sorry, already off on the tangent, but one of the films in his um, <laughs> filmography, if you want to call it that, <laughs> was called Snow White and the Seven Perverts. <laughs> um, <laughs> now. I haven't had the time or the inclination to actually go and check, but I'm pretty certain that there's an episode of the Rick Mayle sitcom, The New Statesman, mm. where Rick Mayle, I can't remember the circumstances, but he is he is playing a pornographic film to a room full of MPs, Tory MPs. Yeah. And I'm I'm almost certain it was Snow White and the Seven Perverts, which I just assumed at the time was a made-up <laughs> title. But clearly not. Um Anyway, if anyone's got that in their collection and wants to write in, please let me know. Um, <laughs> but yeah, no, it was it was it was not. I don't. It wasn't intended to be a success. I don't think. I mean, well, Sellers really wanted to be in it, and I know that at the time Sellers was really at a bit of a low ebb career-wise. His films, yes, he was, he'd had, yeah. he'd had, he hadn't really had a hit since I guess there's a girl in my soup from what four years before, and. He'd made films like the, you know, a Ghost in the Noonday Sun and uh, the the Blockhouse, which we covered on on this show yes, a, few, yes. a, a few months ago, which in some cases weren't even released. Okay, and this yeah. got very limited release. But the weird thing is that Sellers, by all accounts, really wanted to do this film and was very um, chilled out during the making of this film. You know, he was a bit like, as I said on the podcast we, we did on the Blockhouse, mm. he was very easy to work with. He wasn't obstructive. He wasn't throwing tantrums. He was taking directorial advice. And he was pretty much pleasant and charming. And he was the same, apparently, on this film. And Spike would be giving him, would be saying, no, don't do it like this. Do it like that. And he would say, yes, Spike. Okay. And Joe McGrath, likewise. Um, wow. And and the thing is that Joe McGrath famously had had clashed with Sellers to the point of fisticuffs some what six, seven years earlier on the set of Casino Royale. That's correct. They did, yeah. Um, yeah, well there was it a stuntman had to split them up. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Where whereas Sellers, and I don't know what he was smoking at the time, but Sellers was pretty mellow. Uh, mellow <laughs> yes. during the making of this. So he was he was quite keen on this film and he was quite happy and proud of this film, as was Spike by all accounts, but it just, yeah. it kind of rose without trace. Um, oh, and by the way, <laughs> one other thing about the the sort of the background to this, to the production of this film, there was a gentleman called Malcolm Fancy. I think he was a colleague of uh, David Grant in some respect, uh, Malcolm Fancy. And he, he was the son of EJ Fancy. Have you heard of mm. EJ Fancy? 
the name rings a bell. You're going to have to remind me exactly what it is. Okay, well, EJ Fancy was was famous or notorious in the, let's say, 30s, 40s, maybe not 30s, 40s, 50s, into the 60s for really low-budget British B-movies, um, sort of uh, the quota quickies and things like that. Yeah, yeah. And one of the films that he was responsible for was Down Among the Zed Men in ah. 1952, which was which was the first uh, proper goon movie. Exactly. That's probably where I've heard the name of it, if that, if, if, in which case. So, yeah. 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 Wow. Yeah. But very, very sort of uh, <laughs> what goes around comes around there. That's that's amazing. The yeah. little uh, connection there. Absolutely. Brilliant. So, so yeah. It, it, but, yeah, getting back to, to what you said. <laughs> yes. It, it, never, it never really got a proper release. It turned, well, I don't know. I was going to say it turns up on TV. Does it? Did it turn up on TV? you know on i've never ever seen it on television no ever it's i mean it's not even cropped up on um i think probably one of my my favorite channels talking pictures tv um it, it's not even appeared on there to, well, to, to the best of my knowledge anyway you see if you if you removed maybe two minutes from this film mm. this could easily well i'm saying that i mean there's, there is nudity there's some racial um yeah, it's, it's not really, really sort of daytime no. viewing, is it? No, this is this is late night adult yeah. stuff, really. Yeah, it was certainly shown on TV at some point in my teenagehood because I taped it off the telly. I can't remember oh, wow. okay. where I was, whether whether I was in Belfast or in uh, New Zealand. Yeah. Um, but I, I taped it and I watched it maybe twice. And I just never bothered watching it again. <laughs> well, I must admit, I, mean, I usually buy anything Spike related. Um, uh, but on this occasion, uh, I've the only version I've got is what I took off of YouTube. Right. So I so I, I don't own it on DVD or anything like that. I don't know if the the quality is any better. No, it's, um, it's on DVD. It's, but the, it, yeah, it's um, it's not. It's, it's, it's yeah. no, it's very low quality, isn't it? Sound and picture wise. Yeah. The only one, the only person who comes across with any degree of clarity, really, is Sellers, and I think that's just because he's, because you know, he's he's used to projecting like that. Whereas, okay, Milligan is playing it with a, a heavy Scottish brogue. Yeah, <laughs> but, very but heavy. Yeah. A lot of a lot of Milligan's lines, you just can't really make out. Um, yeah, and and the picture quality is quite a dark film in the sense it's quite grotty looking, isn't it? And uh, yeah, I was about to. I was going to, now you've touched on that, the, 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 you know, the grottiness of, of, of the film. Um, that seemed to be a, a sort of trait that Spike had in a lot of his work. He was sort of like, you know, you know, the sort of like the heroic failure. Everything was, you know, grotty. Even if he was trying to project an era of sophistication, there was always, there'll be something there to bring it back down to a level of grottiness again. And it, I think it also reflects on the state of the British film industry, at that time as well um and i don't know what it i, I think it's just be, because of the, the 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 picture quality the sound quality it just makes me think of that you know those those cheapo films that we would you know the britain was dishing out over yeah. and over again and it was sort of like you know softcore pornography really that, that's that was a big boon and, and quite a few um i'm sorry to say british character actors ended up in films like that in the 70s because there was no there was no other films being made yeah usually bob todd bob todd i really handle <laughs> even really appeared handle, in one yeah um 
John LeMessure, I think, even cropped up in one. So, I mean, you know, it's um, something you think is as refined as John LeMessure um, appearing in some sort of sex comedy of the 70s, that that just goes to show how bad it was then. Yeah, I've got, I've actually, I've got the DVD of The Great McGonagall. I am, I, it's on TV as we're recording, on yeah. mute. Okay. Yeah. And I'm looking at it now, and even, even in the best lit scenes, it still looks like it's it's lined a budgie's cage, you know, the film. Um, <laughs> uh, even the beginning of the film, even before the credits, you see, or as the credits are beginning, you see Spike tied, tied to a chair being made up for the film by Peter Sellers. <laughs> and, and Peter Sellers puts like this, this ill-fitting sort of Richard III wig Spike <laughs> and what looks like some sort of rotten vegetable on his nose draws on some really horrible black thick eyebrows and Spike just looks like this hideous creature from the deep <laughs> it's just there's, there's no there's, there's also the, the, the little um, perfume spray oh yes has kept using as well eh? oh, yes. in Spike's face then he, he sort of Put it in his own mouth as well. Then he came back to this this perfume spray. I, it just tickled me that bit for some reason. I yes. it, it's a very odd start to the movie because it's got, got nothing to do with it because Spike doesn't look like that at all in the film, does he? No, and it's it's, all, <laughs> it's, it's, it's just all this inelegance, as I'd call it. And you can yeah. imagine because there's no there's no audio, but you can imagine the voice sellers would be doing playing this rather. You can tell he's playing a rather camp makeup artist. Yes. Uh, you can just tell from the way he's, you know, his, his hand movements, his mouth puckering, all the rest of it. <laughs> um, but so the film, now I, I wrote on my notes here. Yeah. Because I hadn't watched this for many, many, many years, probably 30 plus years. Okay. Because yeah. I hadn't, I'll be honest with you folks, I, I'd never, it had never really caught my imagination. I'd, I'd found it a bit of a slog when I first watched it. And I've watched it, obviously, for the purposes of this uh, twice, actually. Yeah. Um, in the last week. And, and look, it's not it's not a great film, but there's some great bits in it. Some great yes. Bits in it. And I wrote in my notes, it could have been subtitled, Cue the Feature Film. In other words, you know, it could have been, you yes. know, like they, they were making uh, films of British sitcoms in the 70s. You know, I was thinking if they made a, a, a feature film based on the Q series, Spike's Q series, you know, it might be a little bit like this um, because it's got people like Bluthall, John Bluthall. It's got uh, a lot of the familiar tropes that you yes. would find in the Q series. And it's written by Spike and uh, director Joe McGrath. Yes. Um, now, Joe McGrath... As we've already mentioned him, obviously he 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 worked with Sellers on Casino Royale rather disastrously. He'd he'd worked with uh, he'd worked with Sellers previously on because Sellers had been a guest star on two episodes of Not Only but also with Cook and Moore. Well, we're going to look very shortly at one of Mr. Goff's latest paintings. By the way, um, who is this uh, person here you're painting? What are you talking about? Who is it? Who is George this Bishop of Canterbury? Who is it? It's the Archbishop it's of Canterbury. The Archbishop of Canterbury, is it? Yes. Of course it's the Archbishop of Canterbury. Yes, of course it is. A child, a, a child potato. 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 I dare say we could, 
So I dare say we can get a child in to see. I myself find some difficulty in it. I want to say, and I didn't. I meant to check this before we started recording, Phil, and I, I, mm. I forgot to, to be honest with that. I know that he'd he'd met Sellers and Milligan in the fifties, and I and I I want to say he had some involvement with the Fred shows maybe in terms of scenery or something like that you know what i mean yeah. not not to any great degree but he he certainly knew the guys uh he'd worked with them when they did that thames tv remake of tales of men's shirts in 96 ah yes yeah um, is that the one with uh, john cleese with john so cleese was, yeah, yeah yeah um casino royale to say he did uh, he directed Mag- the magic christian with peter and spike yep um he directed digby the biggest dog in the world the year before this with with spike um he did a Spike series called O in Colour in 1970. Um, so, you know, he, he he was in their orbit, for sure. And he knew, yeah. them, he knew them very, very well. Peter, apparently, Peter Sellers insisted on being involved with the film. And I guess he was probably, at this time, he was casting around for something to do. And it was, I think this, this was the film immediately before The Return of the Pink Panther, which re-elevated, if that's such a word, re-elevated Peter Sellers into the superstar yeah, stratosphere. I, because I, I wasn't this sort of, I know this was released in 1974, but I think wasn't it sort of, it's only filmed over a, a period of three weeks, but I think the only film that Sellers had done before The Great McGonagall was Soft Beds Hard Battles, which I think was 73. And well, I don't think then that wasn't a great success either, was it? Well, no, well, there was, there was, there was The Ghost in the Noonday Sun, there was the Blockhouse, that was... Yeah. Was that 72? Did, did, that um, was 72. Did, um, did Ghost come after this film? Was it before it? I can't oh, remember. Oh, it, it's, a, it's a quagmire. <laughs> yeah, yes, indeed, uh, yeah. Because <laughs> it didn't get a proper release. Blockhouse didn't get a release. I know Blockhouse was filmed in 72 because, um, as I said on the show previously, uh, Sellers had the beard that he had on the 1972 Parkinson Meets the Goons yes. interview. Um, but yeah, but there was also The Optimists of Nine Elms that, that came out around this period. That was a good film, but it made no money. Yeah. So I guess Sellers, maybe Sellers had kind of, by the time The Great McGonagall comes along, maybe Sellers had kind of resigned himself to being, to you know, my, my best days, my glory days are behind me. Maybe. And he maybe. Was, maybe yeah. he, was, he was almost sort of at peace with, 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 with that notion. I don't know. But he was, by all accounts, you know, um, in fine form for the filming of this. But yeah, he, 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 he maybe he's just in that place where he's quite happy to make films with his mates. Yes, yeah. that was it, really. Just have a have a laugh more than yeah. anything else. I do think it's a great pity that they didn't somehow manage to rope in Harry for for maybe just a scene, you know. Oh no, yeah. Um, but there you go. I decided to change Shakespeare's plot. And have Macbeth win. That's a good idea, Willie. Until I kill him, I'd keep the fight going. So long as the audience did not throw things. I'll ask the Joss sister speed up the scene. You mentioned that the film was made in three weeks. Uh, And and I think one of those weeks was rehearsals, I I believe. Um, at Wilton's Music Hall, the famous Wilton's Music Hall, which was this, well, Spike had been instrumental in a major sort of fundraising. Uh, yes, that's right. Yeah, I, um, I, 
as I was saying earlier about this, there's not a lot of information about this film, even in biographies about him. And in Norma Farn's book, um, there's almost, it's not even half a page really dedicated to um, the great McGonagall. Um, but it does say they did a, a fundraising concert for Wilton's Music Hall, which I don't even know is still standing, but it was in Shadwell in East London. And he did rope in Peter Sellers. Yeah, yeah, I have seen it. It, it. it is still available. It is, is still, it still available because I see it, it was broadcast by the BBC or screens on the BBC, and I've never seen it, and I, yeah, I, yeah. I didn't even know it existed. And really, it's very so. good. I mean, it's good. It's it's good in parts. It's it's the MC is it's like it's got it's it's like I suppose it's a bit like the good old days was. Yeah, and the MC was Bill Fraser, the actor Bill Fraser. Oh yes, yes. And Spike came on and did a turn, although I. Th- think it was in blackface <laughs> oh god um sellers came on and did the ballad of sam hall which we've talked about on this show before which was a thundering uh performance as this um this stage actor barracking the audience and basically tell the, telling them all to go to hell and yeah Sell- sellers is really in his uh in his element doing that um but if I can, if I can, Phil, I will get a copy and uh, send you it. A, oh, thank a, you. A, a digital copy because um, yes. it's it's quite it's quite something to uh, quite something to behold. Um, lovely. But yeah, so so Spike, you know, the Wilton's was very dear to Spike's heart, and I believe he slept there during some of the filming. Even oh, though, right, okay. Even though, do, actually, do do we know why Spike was so attached to this particular musical? I'm not quite sure. Uh, I just guess the history of it. I guess it was. A yeah, bit of... I don't know if it was some sort of childhood thing with him, or um... well, he hadn't no, grown up. Know. He hadn't grown up in London, really. No, he hadn't. No, he said that's that's what I'm trying to figure out because obviously, you know, he, he didn't move to the East End. He moved to South East London, Catford, where where I come from. So, um, or, or Broccoli, really, we, we first moved to. But yeah, it's um, yeah, I, I just couldn't see what well, there must have been some kind of connection there because he was determined to to save this building. Um, and I think even to sort of like filming uh, the great McGonagall there was again, in part to raise funds for the, for the theater, which is, which is a, a, a great, a great thing to do. Um, but whether it lent itself to the film or not, I, I, well, we'll, we'll come on to that. I think. Yeah. I, I think he just had this, he'd always, he's always been a campaigner for causes, hasn't he? And he was a conservationist and he was all, all about, preserving history and things like that. So I guess yeah. it, it might have just been because of that. Um, so, yeah, so let's say Spike and Joe McGrath, they came up with the script and they roped in some pals. So not yeah. just not just sellers, um, but there was, uh, I want to run through these. Well, there's, there's John Bluthal, first of all. Now, John Bluthal, you know, just, he died only, relatively recently and he was just in everything everything you know any any self-respecting fan of british comedy or or comedy in general john bluther would just turn up and he was always always good value in everything he turned up on yeah um i think he was from eastern europe originally and then like when he was born and i think he, he he grew up in australia and then he moved to the uk um but he'd worked because because Spike had gone to because Spike's parents emigrated to Australia in the yes. 50s. So, and as you know, so I'm sure Spike often went to Australia, did a lot of work in Australia. 
1958, he he was over there doing a radio series called uh, The Idiot Weekly. Yes, yeah. Which had no relation to uh, The Idiot Weekly, Price Tuppence, the television show that he and Sellers made in 56. Mm. They just, he just borrowed the name, basically. Um, but John Bluthall was on that, on that show in oh, Australia. Okay. Um, and then a few years later, Bluthall moved to the UK and he turns up in the uh, Omar Khayyam show, which was a UK, a British remake of The Idiot Weekly. Yeah, Spike was involved with. Um, and John Bluthall turns up, he's in the first run of the bed sitting room play in 63 with Spike. Mm-hmm. He's he's great. He's in he's in Spike's Q series. <laughs> he's in There's a lot of it about, which was, I guess, I suppose you'd call it Q10. Q10, really. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he was in the melting pot, the terrible sitcom that Spike made, the aborted sitcom. Yes. <laughs> um he was in Digby, the biggest dog in the world. And and um funny enough, he was in the return of the Pink Panther with Peter Sellers. He was the he was the blind beggar. Yes, the, of course he the was. Minky, yes. The minky. The minky, yes. <laughs> City ordinance 132R prohibits the begging. How do you know so much about uh, city ordinances? What sort of stupid question is that? Are you blind? Yes. But Joe McGrath had worked with them a few times as well as a director. So uh mainly notably on it's a square world and <laughs> joe mcgrath i think sometimes exaggerates or or maybe misremembers things yeah and i and i, 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 I i'm, I'm going to be saying stuff on here that joe mcgrath has said if you like okay um okay. and this is the base this is of um the fact that uh, on the dvd there is a commentary between joe mcgrath and the comedy historian robert ross yeah okay um all i want to say is that joe mcgrath great guy very funny guy very entertaining guy i'm sure he'd be great to go for a pint with but yeah sometimes i think mm, are you are you sure about that joe but anyway he said about It's a Square World that Michael Benteen wanted John Bluthall fired because he was being too funny. Oh. <laughs> now, I, I can't imagine Michael Benteen ever, ever saying that or even thinking it, actually. No. No, no not at all. I can imagine Peter Sellers maybe doing Yes. That. <laughs> um, no, no, certainly not Michael Benteen. All the stories I've heard about Michael Benteen is what an absolutely fantastic guy he was. Mm-hmm. And what, what a nice man. Um, yeah, so I, I don't believe... Sorry, Joe, I don't believe you. <laughs> well, there might be some germ of truth there. Maybe Michael Benting was having a bad day. Maybe. And maybe he was saying it slightly tongue-in-cheek. Who knows? Anyway. Yeah. But uh, but so, yeah, so, so John Bluthall, obviously... Uh, in fact, there's most of the cast, apart from a, one or two, most of the cast play multiple characters in The Great McGonagall. Yes. So John Bluthall plays many roles, including... Um, uh, is it Hercules Fate? I didn't write it down. Hercules Fate. I think that's the name, Hercules um, Fate. Yeah. He plays yeah. um he plays the the would-be assassin of Queen Victoria, uh, and many others. And then and then you have um Victor Spinetti, of course. Uh the wonderful Victor Spinetti, who yes. who I thought had worked with Salazar Milligan more, but actually looking at it, he 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 turns up in a couple of Pink Panther films, including Return of the Pink Panther. Mm. And he turns up in Digby, of course, the biggest dog in the world. But that's it, really. Um, but then he he 
did appear in every single Beatles film, didn't he? He did indeed. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's probably easy to kind of conflate the two. <laughs> um, and Victor Spinetti, of course, is playing characters such as uh, John Brown. Yes. Um, Queen Victoria. And, and a, and a fake John Brown. <laughs> Oh, yes, yes. <laughs> he takes, plays two different versions of John Brown, which I yes, thought was he great. Does. Yes, he <laughs> um, He plays a kind of, what does he play, like an anarchist at the beginning of the film where he's calling for a general strike. Uh, yeah. But many, many different roles. And then, of course, Valentine Dial, who listeners to this podcast will be very familiar with. Um, not only a regular guest artiste on The Goon Show, but he t- appeared in... Shows like a show called Fred, Son of Fred. Um, he was he again was in the first run of the bed sitting room as Lord Fortnum on stage. Oh, okay. And he's he's yeah. I mean, he his career was so aligned with Milligan and Sellers, uh, particularly Milligan, and uh, and he he does some great. I mean, he's. Alfred Lord Tennyson. He's. Uh, <laughs> I um, just thought I just thought known that known as the stripping Lord. Lord yes. Alfred Lord oh, yes. Tennyson. He just yes. kept taking his clothes off all the time. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> um, and then there's a there's a couple of other actors who I wasn't so familiar with. Julia Foster, who plays Julia Foster, has a pretty thankless task as Mrs. McGonagall. Um, <laughs> she doesn't have much to do other. No, than she doesn't. Of, apart from she, she'll wake the children. Yes, seems to be a line all the way through the film. The actor. I mean, Julia Foster. I mean, she, I mean, didn't wasn't she in? Um, oh, was it Alfie with Michael Caine? Was that what she started uh, first? Yes, yes, I think. You're so she right. was quite a sort of a, a very well-known sort of British um, actress, and I was surprised to see her in in the cast list. As, as you say, she gets a very sort of thankless task, really. Which is a bit of a a bit of a shame that what her pedigree has been before, but um, yeah, it's it's like she's she's resigned to this life of drudgery. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. To be honest, she's almost like Spike's straight man because she's the only one in the film that doesn't really do anything sort of over the top or I hate using the word zany. If you, if you but you see where I'm coming from, I do. Yes. Yeah. It's um. Yeah. I hate, I hate using that word in relation to Spike Milligan. Everyone says it zany comedy of Spike Milligan. No, there's more to it than that. Yeah, she she just played it straight. It's almost very like a very natural performance, particularly with the with with um, McGonagall's kids. Yeah, I was trying to find out who the kids were if they were any. You know, I, I wondered. What, I even at one point thought were one of them was one of them Jane Milligan. You know. Yeah, yeah. Um, but apparently, because <laughs> they're not even credited, they're not even on IMDb. No, so they're not. No. Um, apparently, they were just two children from stage school that they that they picked <laughs> up for a fiver to do a couple of days work yeah um and you've got yeah you've got a couple of other actors like uh clifton jones who's um a black actor who plays the well there's there's a number of scenes that are a bit now <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> Which, um, Usually, and, yeah but he played a he, Actually, he whites up in one scene, doesn't he? Yes, he does. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Then, other, apart from that, he's playing like an African prince in, in most scenes as well. But um, but Clifton Jones, um, probably most famous for starring the first series of Jerry Anderson's Space 1999. Okay, I've never seen as, that. Everyone seems to think that that first series was the, was the better series. Um, I mean, the science is all over the shop. I mean, you've got the moon being 
blown out of Earth's orbit for for, for starters. Um, but yeah, he he was only in the first series as, as uh, David Carno. He was sort of like the the the, the computer expert. Um, okay. Yeah. So, but that's what I know. And and that and he's in, I saw in an episode of the, of the Professionals once as well. Um, so to see him in this, I was I was quite whoa, blimey! That that's a bit of a um, a bit of a turn up for the books. Yeah, yeah. But I thought he equipped himself well. Um, oh yeah. He, he 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 seemed to get the get get the comedy of it because I, I seem to think for this type of film it takes a certain kind of actor to get to grips with what they're trying to achieve. Really? Yeah, yeah. If you'd not if you weren't aware of Milligan and his work, it would be very very difficult to get your head around what you're being asked to do in yeah. this film. Yeah. Whereas, I mean, Bluthor and I guess to a lesser degree, well, Bluthor and Dial and to a lesser degree Spinetti, mm. the, they know what all this is about. They're um, they're well versed in yeah. the, the 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 Milligan style. Whereas, I guess the likes of uh, Julia Foster, Clifton Jones, um, Julian Chagrin, who yes. I wasn't aware of either, um, who plays a number of roles, including Prince Albert. Uh, uh, <laughs> yeah. By the way. Ah yes, Vicky. <laughs> oh yeah, I mean, there's some, there's some, there's some typical Milligan tropes. There's, there's Hitler. <laughs> there's Hitler. There's nakedness. There's boobs. Um, although, although I say that Milligan, both Milligan and McGrath objected because because there is some forefrontal female nudity. Yes, there is. Yeah, quite quite gratuitous, and they both were against that scene there's a scene and with with spike as Mc, uh, mcgonagall in jail and there's a girl dancing naked in his cell and yeah it's, it's which, meant to be a hallucination i think or a dream i I'm think sure. uh it doesn't make a lot of sense no and it's also got this very anachronistic 70s library music playing as she's yes yes yeah <laughs> Spike yeah. just looks a bit lost, really. He uh, does. So well, actually, it, it, uh, maybe there's something what you say because when that scene starts or it cuts to, to the girl dancing, he's just sitting in the chair and he's got his head slumped down. Yeah. Hasn't he? As if, like, oh, God, why is this happening? And um, maybe, as you say, he didn't agree with the scene. Maybe that, that was his little protest. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Who they, knows? Who knows? They had to give in because the 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 money man insisted on it so yeah um and there's a couple of other there's there's a there's a brief scene with valentine dial in in bed with a half naked lady yes um and there's some there's like a what there's kind of like a what the butler saw kind of routine yeah that that was weird yeah yeah that was that bit was weird and i was sort of struggling to th- to understand what what that was doing in the film, other it was just a bit another bit of cheap titillation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but we'll come on to that. I mean, there's also yeah. just just finishing off the cast. There's there's uh, Charlie Atom. Yes, <laughs> who did a pit? I've seen him in a couple of Q episodes over the years. Um, yeah, little uh, what would you call him? A little person, and he has a number of roles. And in, in one scene, he actually gets because he wasn't available to do. Uh, overdubs or adr um hmm. joe mcgrath had to do with his voice for one scene that's um, right yeah well actually before you move on go coming back to julian chagrin oh sorry yes Sh- Sh- or chagrin maybe you want to pronounce it yeah um are you familiar with the the other thing that he's famous for 
No. Okay, there was an advert in the 1970s for R. White's Lemonade. And he was the C- he, he was the guy oh. come down the stairs singing I'm the Secret Lemonade Drinker. Which Joe McGrath directed. Yes. I think, didn't he? Yeah, yeah. Oh, I knew he'd, I knew McGrath directed it. I didn't realise it was Julian Chagrin. It was Julian Chagrin, yeah. Um, oh, okay. Yeah, now, Julian Chagrin, I, I tracked this down because it was... Um, and it's, I, I can't find it on YouTube anyway. It, it appears to have been taken down or the, or the channel's no longer... Uh, the, the person's channel's no longer there. But he did... Um, a silent movie, or practically silent movie, in the early seventies about Christmas trees, and basically it was it was made by him and his brother, brother none of which escapes me at the moment. But it was this really weird, creepy thing where basically they're in like a forest, and these trees were sort of like human. He was at this; his face was in the tree, and it was basically from the time they get um, chopped down for for, for Christmas. They spend Christmas with the family and then basically them being tossed out to be burnt or to rot and they go up to Christmas tree heaven. It was a, it's a very wow. weird, mm. very weird film. But the reason I was put onto it because there was a, a weird little Doctor Who connection. There was an actress who played the mum of this family was in um, a, a story of, of Tom Baker's in, in, in the 70s. But also in this, as one of the tree cutters, right at the very beginning, only seen once walking towards the camera, is Aussie actor Brian Brown. Oh, from Cocktail and yes, yeah, <laughs> and um, FX Murder by Illusion was the other thing I think he was famous for. Um, yeah, uh, it really is a blink and you'll miss it. And I had to sort of put, oh, that's Brian Brown. I paused it. Yes, he is Brian Brown. It was couldn't believe Blimey. it. If you can, if you can find it, watch it. It's a very strange little film. There was there was a six month period, maybe I want to say 88, 89, where yeah. Brian Brown was a huge star. He was, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah he was okay. in everything. Yeah. But, uh, <laughs> oh well. There you go. So yeah, I mean you can cut that bit out if you like. But oh no, just, no, no. Oh no. It was just it was just a strange little little thing. Julian Shagrin is sort of like, well, yeah, who's he? But he's he's starting for one of the most famous adverts on British TV of the 1970s. Yeah, whenever there's one of those Channel Five shows. Yeah, greatest adverts of all time. Hundred greatest adverts. It's it's in the top ten, isn't it? I think always. Generally yeah, speaking. yeah, exactly. Oh, and by the way, just coming back to that jail scene with the the girl dancing. Yeah, just just immediately before that, there's that bit where Spike is sort of tempted into listening at this <laughs> hole in the wall, and then yeah. gets a boxing glove in the face, which is just yeah. just a, a just a lifted that wholesale from the running jumping and standing still film oh god yeah uh totally totally the thing is though i that if if i ever search for photographs of spike milligan that would always crops up yes and for years it was what like, where it came from and well now we know it comes from this film you know so that's so, it that's it that's yeah because i thought is it from q or something like that um but again it's another typical milligan gag really isn't it the yeah. boxing the, the lone boxing glove to the face you know yes. <laughs> he thought in cartoons didn't he he did yeah in cartoons totally totally um i want to bring in i'm gonna I, I came in possession of a very interesting review of the film which was written in i guess 1974 by the writer and critic penelope gilliatt mm. um I certainly knew her name, I guess, as a film critic. I'm not quite sure. Although I know she wrote the screenplay for the film Sunday, Bloody Sunday. 
in the 70s. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah. Um, but she was, you know, she was, she was quite a big noise back in the, back in the day. Um, and she wrote a review, long form review of the great McGonagall for um, a publication. Now what publication top of your head do you think yeah. she might've written a review of the great McGonagall, the, the Spike Milligan film? What, what, oh, what, I don't know. Publication. Publication. I try to think of a, a magazine from the from the seventies of the tidbits. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> or maybe the Family Circle. Yeah, maybe. exactly. Yeah, that does. No, 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 no. She wrote this for the New Yorker magazine. Wow. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Uh, I don't quite know why, because I don't think the film. I mean, the film didn't really basically get a release in in the UK, let alone outside. The yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. But she was very taken by the film. She was very taken by it. And she's got this, there's this, there's this article that she wrote. And she, she writes a little bit about McGonagall himself, which I just thought I'd, I'd just read now because it just, because obviously William McGonagall did exist. He was, he was an actual person. Yes. And, um, and she writes that his poems are among the great artistic legacies of Victoriana. In middle age, as an unemployed Scottish weaver, he decided to retire from non-work and devote himself to poetry. A rhapsodist of an uncommonly methodical turn of mind, he was much given to putting practical technical advice into his poetry. <laughs> Bathos struck no terror to his heart, and he clung to the least chance of rhyme, disregarding meter. <laughs> so, and, and she gives the example of um, the Tay Bridge. Yes. I'm not going to read it, but uh, I might put a clip in because it yes. I, I can't do justice to the, uh, <laughs> to the Tay Bridge. A railway bridge of the Silvery Tay. Beautiful railway bridge of the Silvery Tay with your numerous arches and pillars in so grand array and your central girders, which seem to the eye to be almost towering to the sky, the greatest wonder of the present day and a great beautification to the River Tay, most beautiful to be seen nearby Dundee and the Magdalen Green. Beautiful railway bridge of the Silvery Tay, which will cause great rejoicing on the opening day, and hundreds of people will come from far away, also the Queen, most gorgeous to be seen, nearby Dundee and the Magdalen Green. The New Yorkers boast about their Brooklyn Bridge, but in comparison with thee, it seems like a medge. Because thou Spanish the silvery tea a mile and longer, I venture to say. Besides, their railway carriages are pulled across by a rope. Therefore, Brooklyn Bridge cannot with thee cope. Beautiful railway bridge of the silvery tea. I hope that God will protect all passengers by night and by day. And that no accident will befall them while crossing the bridge of the silvery tea for that would be most awful to be seen nearby Dundee and the Magdalen Green. But my dear ladies and gentlemen, that poem is now out of print and I do not propose to print it again. 
owing to the bridge being blown down. <laughs> Within a 12 month of the opening day. She goes on to say about the film. She says, Spike Milligan with a nose like a quill pen that is about to dash off an ode to Prince Albert's tonsils or the measurements of the newest railway line gives McGonagall a stoic pathos as he trudges through visibly artificial snow to have tea with the Queen. But the Queen, speaking in Sella's most monarchical and decisive mezzo-soprano voice, is also reverently treated. Her fondness for the gilly, Brown, is handled with kid gloves fit for her to open a dam. She looks thinner in the face than we remember from coins and very heavily rouged. Okay. Sellers gets second billing in this film, yes. but he's barely yeah. on the screen, really. He's 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 there at, right at the beginning as the makeup artist, applying this this crap to Milligan's face. <laughs> um, and then an hour in, he turns up um, on his knees on a skateboard, I believe, um, under under the skirts on a skateboard yeah. as as Queen Victoria. Uh, although well, we no, do, no, well, no, well, he's, he, no, he's in at the beginning as well because you true. get the you get the. Um, as you say, was it Bluthor Spinetti as uh, Roderick McLean who tried to assassinate Queen Victoria? That's right. Yeah, because yeah. You, yes, you've got she's, McGonagall. She's watching. She's watching the uh, sort of the anarchist base, isn't she? On on stage, uh, Spinetti. Yes, Spinetti. Yeah, that's so you, right. Yeah, so you get this weird scene. You so you it's uh, starts off in Wilton's music hall with Queen Victoria and an Albert watching like a um, a revolt on stage, which has got a full Victoriana audience there, then it breaks into a, into a fight, which then has police horses amongst yes. all the tables and chairs. Um, and the guy trying to assassinate, him. but you've got Milligan as, as McGonagall in the audience who then f- falls in love with Queen Victoria at, at that precise moment, doesn't he? <laughs> That's right. Yeah. Yeah, and Sellers obviously insisted on being in the film, but he bears no resemblance whatsoever. No, none whatsoever. To Queen Victoria, <laughs> as as um, Penelope Gilliatt indicated, he's, he's so yeah. thin faced. Um, I mean, the Sellers of nineteen fifty four would have yes, would have been a much better. Queen would have been better. <laughs> uh, but but no, uh, yes, we do have that scene at the beginning with with. Victorian Albert, and but yeah. then it's another hour into the film before, before you see him again. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But, but I, I say the, the other with the beginning as well. When McGonagall gets on stage, he doesn't do his poetry. It's Spiker's Max Miller singing "Mary from the Dairy," wearing apparently I found out wearing Max Miller's or one of Max Miller's actual suits. Yeah. Um, that's great. Yeah. That scene where he's hooked off. Yeah, the, yeah, the shepherd's crook comes. Up. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, but that's the thing. I mean, you get the when he when Milligan does do McGonagall's poetry, you do get the the, the dramatic oh at the beginning before he, he starts recounting it. But it's the we talked about him being in jail, but when he's in court and mm. Bluthall's playing the judge and asks him to read some of his poetry, and as soon as he goes. Oh, like that. All the jury run out. Yes. (laughs) Who employs you? What are your wages? I'm self-employed, so there's no wages. But uh, once or twice a year, I write one or two poems, but it's not what you'd call regular employment. What would you call it then? Unemployment. How much could you afford to pay each week? A week? 
I was thinking of threepence a year, you know. At that rate, it would take you nearly 100 years to repay the debt. I'm a patient man. Mr. McGonagall, can you think of any reason why you should not be sent to prison? Yes. I'm just watching the the film is playing as a, as we're talking as I said right and I'm yeah. just watching the scene where <laughs> he's just stood there talking to his wife and his kilt just just drops it to drops. the floor. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, oh, we have yeah so we have the, this attempt at this assassination which McGonagall foils. Then there's the scene which is a bit baffling. With the um, the royal Scots in Zululand, yeah, and 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 Spinetti as one of the lieutenants, yeah, Lieutenant Rollo. Frederick Rollo, mm. yeah, writes him a f- fan letter, isn't it? Really? Yeah, yeah. You you could not say that this film has a, a particularly strong plot or a coherent plot. No, there is a plot of sorts, um, but but it the 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 film relies upon uh McGonagall just being a, a rubbish poet basically yeah and people basically. taking people taking the neck um, well that that bit's true isn't it because that they did um this group of people did sort of forge a letter inviting yeah a, a Victoria inviting McGonagall to Balmoral um yes. and, that, and, that, and that's that's the sort of the biggest fantasy scene of the film really isn't it well, actually, before we get on to the journey to Bamar, there's one bit where he's saying goodbye to his family, which I found rather sweet. I'm watching it now. It's literally on as, a, as we're talking. Yes. Right, okay. Do you know, I, I really found that quite genuine, to, 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 to be honest. And I, I don't know why, because he, he's not playing it for for laughs at all. Um, he, he's playing it, so this is my... Because McGonagall... I think Spike saw a lot of himself in McGonagall. He, he just carried on in the face of, of what Spike saw as, as adversity, um, even though you know, he hated the BBC. But the BBC gave him a lot of opportunities to keep producing stuff and they make him put him on the radio and put him on the television. Um, so he he saw what he perceived as, as, as adversity in his life. And I think he saw a lot of himself in McGonagall, who just kept going. Yes. You know, even if people just sort of like, no, you're rubbish, or they didn't laugh, he just kept going. And I think that I think that's why this was such a, a passion project for him. So I think that that scene when he, he he's about to well, he's gonna to walk to Balmoral, isn't he? Through through snow and through snow and everything, yeah. yeah. So so but saying goodbye to his family, I thought was it was rather I thought it was a rather sweet scene. The scene that accelerates this action, if you like, yeah, or triggers this, the scene that triggers this we haven't talked about, which is is the famous scene that, in fact, myself and former guest Chris Diamond have talked about. Chris, Chris yes, was, was yes, and I know what you're going to say. Yeah, um, There's a scene where John Brown supposedly turns up. Yeah, this is Spinetti as the fake John Brown, isn't it? Victor Spinetti as the fake John Brown turns yes. up with this letter inviting, uh, from supposedly from Victoria, inviting McGonagall to Balmoral. Yeah. And you have this bit, you have the sequence where Spike forgets his lines or is not quite sure what his lines are, isn't yeah. quite sure what he's meant to be doing. Yeah. And and he he questions Joe McGrath off camera. Yeah. And and it genuinely looks, if you watch it as you as you have, it does look 
like an absolute genuine outtake where Milligan doesn't know what's what he's meant to be doing, what he's meant yeah. to be saying. He's just he's just dried basically. Um, but no, it was Joe McGrath intended it. It was it was scripted. It was slightly improvised, but it was mainly scripted. It was all yeah. meant to be like that. And Milligan's acting is fantastic in that because it is. Yeah, you know, it's quite remarkable, and it's an interesting. It's obviously it's playing with the form. Yeah, it's, it's Milligan being Milligan. It's it's. Uh, it, but but you could be mistaken for thinking, good God, is the was the budget so low that they just included just, just kept that in exactly? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And then, of course, it, it does leak because they call lunch after they finish filming that scene. And then it, and it cuts that scene of Milligan and the two children arriving late at the, at the catering van. Yes. And they've always got these scraps left on the tables. Yes. <laughs> yeah. But the trip to, to Balmoral is interesting. And uh, and we meet, well, he has this, what, what turns out to be a dream that he meets Queen Victoria and yeah. Prince Albert. Um, do, you want to describe, do you want to describe this sequence? Well, it, I, it's it's odd to be going because a he, he, he turns up at the at the gates of Balmoral, which is just a cardboard cutout, really, is it? Because it's still on the stage of Wilton's musical. Yes, everything um, is. Yeah, yeah, and he's in the full Scottish regalia, the big tam o' shanter. He's even dyed his beard <laughs> yes. for the occasion as well. <laughs> so it is in his dream. He looks resplendent. Exactly, exactly. So you you get inside and. There's Victoria, played by Peter Says, who's on his knees on is it a roller skates, basically, isn't it? And you've got um again, you've got Albert, played by Julian Shagrin. He's basically Hitler. Yeah. Really. Um, but he does it in a, 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 a almost like a Doctor Strange Love voice. Yes, he does. Yeah. As well, yeah. doesn't he? Um, but he just really, he just first, ah yeah, Vicky. It's that or it just first was Vicky all the time. But she seems to go into or Sellers take on Victoria. She seems to have little um, little flushes, little crises now and again, doesn't she? And if if, if Tom McGonagall says he's poetry, or Albert says something a bit a bit saucy, <laughs> yes. and I love the way that Sellers as Victoria is playing the piano. Oh God, that was ah, oh, that was brilliant. What was it? It was almost, almost like a uh, was it like a ragtime jazz kind of yeah, thing, yeah. wasn't it? But there was no actual pretense to make, make it look like he was actually playing the piano no. <laughs> he was just banging his hands up and down I was, it was brilliant <laughs> but he's it, going berserk with his hands though wasn't it well, <laughs> because obviously Sellers is crouched down um, yeah. his, no, his nose is virtually on the keys <laughs> of the piano uh... <laughs> oh dear but then you get this this um, scene where I think was it was it Albert goes and plays this what's that organ thing it's he plays. It's got a name, hasn't it? Oh, it's not the Wurlitzer, is it? Is it a Wurlitzer? No. no, it's 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 got a, like an innuendo type of name, hasn't it? It's oh yeah, I didn't write that down. Yeah, it's almost like Albert's massive organ or something like that. I don't know, but mm. um, yeah, it, it's a bit yeah, a bit on the nose, I think, if I seem to remember rightly. But it's then it's sort of dance, dance with me, Queen. And um, so you've got Sellers and, and Milligan on a turntable, which is it Spinetti? And who else is pushing? They're both just pushing them around as, as, as if they're doing the waltz on this turntable. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but then you've got Milligan, and I don't know what he's supposed to be saying, but he, he gets Victoria all of a fluster because it, it, it cuts to like a, a, the the camera's sort of like, go, sort of like a, um, you look at it from Victoria's point of view, then McGonagall's point of view. Yeah. And he's not saying anything particular. He's just going oh, 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 like that, and she's going oh, and 
it's almost like it's almost orgasmic face or faces that he's pulling. (laughs) (laughs) Sellers looks like he's he's having an absolute ball. So much fun. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so much fun. Uh, I mean, it's not subtle at all. You know, they they mention Hitler by name. (laughs) Well, all the band was it? Was it the the last all Hitler band? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. All dressed as Hitler. Yeah. Again, it wouldn't be Spike if you didn't have some Hitler gags in there. No, no. <laughs> um, and the scene with, with, with Sellers as Victoria probably lasts 15 minutes, 10, 15 minutes at most. About that tops, yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, in, 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 in this sequence, Sellers is, is clearly playing Victoria as um, a bit of a, a, a randy old bird. Yeah, exactly. Say. Which, yeah, which I guess she must have been up to a point because you know she had what a couple of dozen kids or something, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Oh, yeah, yeah, crikey. But, um, <laughs> yeah, and I th- yeah, I think Albert Albert was the same as well, actually, wasn't he? So it's uh, yeah, I think there, there's there was some truth in what they were trying to do in, in a very exaggerated manner, of course. But um, yeah, but it's unfortunate that's the, that's the only that's the last time you see Sellers. Um, in the film, really, because he he doesn't play any other characters, does he? Which is a shame because he was only there for a week. Only there for a week. Yeah. yeah so I, I wonder. Uh, I presume that was all his schedule would allow. But if he had yeah. been there longer, I'm no, I've no doubt he would have played other characters. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, but but, but um, so, but say I mean after obviously he wakes up in the snow at that point, doesn't he? Or, yes. Or yeah, and then and he and he does trudge to Balmoral and he gets. Turfed away or hit over the head, doesn't he? With the uh, is it Valentine Dahl as the, as the copper? Ah, uh, no, I th- think it it's G- Chagrin. It's Chagrin again. I think it is. Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, as I say, I'm watching the, the film is playing as we are speaking. It was still, in fact, we're at the what the butler saw sequence, which is just l- ludicrous. It is ludicrous. <laughs> it doesn't make any sense at all, does no, it? No, no, none whatsoever. None at you, all. You kind of think did Sellers? Because Sellers is a Despite everything, Sellers is a big star. He's got a lot of clout. Did yeah. Sellers not? Did Sellers not maybe sort of say, "Well, you know, okay, yeah, all right, come on, I don't want to be involved with this sort of sequence." But maybe it was it was done after his involvement was was Possibly. over. Possibly. Maybe, yeah. But I know what you mean though, because you say, I mean, he had starred in a a string of flops, but he was still a big star. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's certainly, certainly in this country, anyway. So, um, yeah. I've just, I've just noticed here. There's a scene. In fact, I hadn't noticed it before, because obviously Sellers has been playing Victoria on her knees, but he's he stands up to its full height at one point, and you can see the skirt lifts, and you can see his his calves of his legs, his hairy legs, yeah. and on one leg he's got V written on, and on the other leg R written on. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, wonderful! Um, I wish I had. The, I wish I was playing it in the background there. <laughs> well, it's because it's not one of those films where there's a through narrative. There's a there's a linear story, really. No, it's it's it, it's, it's very loosely strung together um, by 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 a pick of McGonagall. Um, but I say even then, it's more. How can I put it? As I said earlier, you know, I think it's more of a of a, a biopic of Spike. Yeah. <laughs> more than anything else uh, i think um joe mcgraw practically said as much at the times i think it was in humphrey carpenter's biography mm. that he said in in large it was this he, this film was really a milligan self-portrait yeah 
which I yeah. can I can see that I I, I really can well, really you, can you, see you, that you you referred to that a bit earlier didn't you yeah I did yeah he was, he he was determined to carry on no matter what what was no matter what him. people thought exactly yeah. you know it's um I think it's on one of those I think was it the um last the gone show that 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 documentary he says on he says on there you know ignore these stupid bastards you you mm. I am you are funny I am funny I'd read this to people at the pub seeking out some kind of acceptance of the jokes and of course they were all as thick as planks they're just boozers they never laughed at anything and I thought why am I laughing at this and nobody else is primarily because they weren't funny and I was and they have multiplied since to a greater degree so much so they're writing comedies now with no laughs at all some little light in me said ignore these stupid bastards it is funny you are funny enjoy it yourself that was a driving energy behind me and I've been like that ever since that's why I am now totally unemployed can we keep going all over the place with this but one thing we forgot to mention was prior to this scene yeah is where McGonagall has improved upon Macbeth and oh god yes in the samurai outfit on the samurai in the samurai outfit <laughs> which apparently was owned by Bruce Lacey from of the Alberts I don't know if you know ah, Bruce okay. Lacey yeah. Um, who Spike would have known. And in fact, yeah. he, Bruce Lacey turns up in the running, jumping, and standing still film. And there's that terrific scene where Spike falls slain in the samurai outfit. And he falls backwards in slow motion to the um the music from 2001. What's it called? The Spike Zarathustra or something. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, but that whole scene with John Bluthal is wonderful. Isn't it? With the... Oh, it is because he's he's meant to, he's obviously Hamlet's meant to die, but he thinks no, I'm gonna do it better, and he doesn't die. He doesn't die. <laughs> he doesn't die. <laughs> he's, he's coming back. <laughs> um, Which again was a, was a real McGonagall um, thing. That's what he did. He, he thought he could improve Shakespeare. That was one of his. I think he earned more money doing that than he did with his own poetry. If, if I yeah. remember my McGonagall history. But yeah, I mean, it, it's I mean, once he gets back to. Um, this is the next bit I can't does he come back down to London after going to Balmoral because he seems to be in a, in a Cockney East End pub yeah he, he has in the his next run, scene doesn't he, he has his run in with the the copper in fact hang on I'm looking at it now it's just oh, right, okay. that scene has just come on now it, hey. is, it is it is Valentine <laughs> Dial as the copper it is Valentine Dial it is hey. Valentine Dial there you go <laughs> um, one thing about it though the last third of the film one thing I really picked up on was the music, which I thought was beautiful, actually. Some of the yes. music. Haunting, lilting, lovely yes. music. Yes, yes, uh, it is. And not what you would expect from a film like this. It's well, no, quite it, melancholy. It is very, very, very melancholy. And the film also takes a little bit of a a dark turn. Yeah. That, that bit when he gets to London, because that, that bit where he just falls face down on the floor. Yeah in that empty bar and he just bursts into tears yeah and it's so sad and again milligan is fantastic yeah. doing the straight stuff um and it, it, it you know you've got all this stuff going on before and it, it, it to sort of end you, you know you know towards the end of the film really and he just bright burst down you know breaks down really um yes. about you know he can't take anymore um and it's it's so sad 
It really is sad. I mean, it didn't quite end like that for uh, for, for for McGonagall. So he, he didn't. He did sort of. Um, he didn't die in abject poverty at the end, did he? In, in, in real life, he was. Um, he no. was subsidised by friends, wasn't he? Yes. <laughs> yes. So he, he was looked after. Um, you know, to, to, towards the end of his life, but. Um, but with Spike, I mean, obviously with Spike, he, he, you get another one of the, one of the great Milligan tropes is um, if someone's been beaten up, it's swapped for an obvious dummy. <laughs> yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, there's 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 no attempts to uh, to steep this film in any kind of reality. No, none whatsoever. Uh, <laughs> McGonagall gets beaten up and left for dead, and then we have we have the scene where. He's on his lying on his deathbed, basically. Yeah, but you um, do get the you do get the four Alfred Lord Tennyson's though. Yes, that was odd. <laughs> Wasn't that odd? Yeah, to pick the real one, <laughs> <laughs> which was Valentine Darlingo, but then probably takes off his clothes and gets into bed with McGonagall. So well, Valentine. That's the thing. This is where they needed Sellers, I think. Yeah, because I could have seen Sellers playing the Tennyson. Role because Valentine Dahl, first of all, is the doctor who's treating McGonagall uh, on his deathbed. Say, the Cleppington catastrophe. Uh, the Cleppington catastrophe. How is he, doctor? Who? Him. Oh, him, oh, yes, sir. And he's suffering from an attack of young Monroe, the sailor. Mrs. McGonagall, will you stand in front of that screen and take your clothes off? No. <laughs> Uh, uh, uh. Yes, well, I give him some laudanum. If he's not dead by morning, I'll call again. If he wakes, uh, change his poultice. Now, will you stand in front of that screen and take your clothes off? No. But do as the doctor says, Jeannie. He knows what's best for us. And then, literally... Walks out the room, comes back in as as Tennyson, <laughs> Tennyson or yeah. one of the Tennysons, the stripping Tennyson. <laughs> you could have seen Sellers playing Tennyson, and I'm trying to think how he would play him. Um, uh, probably highly camp, like Sellers probably like to do. Yes, yeah. Um, and then quite unaccountably, uh, what's his name? Uh, Clifton Jones turns up as a African chief. Yes, uh, and gets into bed as well. So. You see, he walks in with with his entourage, doesn't he? Like a, yes. a, a kingly entourage, and then gets into bed as well. And but, but again, it's another fantasy sequence, isn't it? Yeah. He, he I think he does. So he, he does end up with fan mail, doesn't he? By the time he, he's lying ill he in does. bed, he does. Yes, he does a... get fan mail, and that's what leads into the fantasy bit, isn't it? Then, it, but then it cuts back to Valentine Dole as, as the Doctor. I know you get this, but he just go. Is he say that I'm so very tired, so very tired, mm. and then. Don't want to spoil the end of the film for you folks, but he, he dies. He dies, and, and it's again. It's not. There's no sort of playful laughs. He gets because they put the pull the sheet up over his face, and you're half expecting him to sort of get up as I'm not dead yet, or or a last poem before he dies. But no, yeah. there, there's nothing. That's 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 it, folks. That's it. Yeah. Um. And as you say, then it cuts to that that melancholic music again, it's and it's a- lovely. It's lovely, but it's a very downbeat ending for a it comedy is. film. Yeah, it, it's a, it's a real. In fact, in it's fact, a real just, curio of a film, isn't it? Just as he dies, you cut to I think it's 
I think it's Julian Chagrin as a as a preacher or. A, yes, um, it is. Yeah, because yeah, because he writes. Oh, he says a little, little, like a little sermon about about McGonagall, right. doesn't he? Because, because yeah, McGonagall's reading reading one of these fan letters, and yeah. you hear the you hear it's a bit like that scene from the first episode of the League of Gentlemen. McGonagall can hear the person who's written the letter; he can hear their voice. <laughs> That's right. He looks around the room. Looks around the room. What's under the sheets? <laughs> <laughs> Oh, the thing is, it's not, it's not a um, a laugh out loud movie, but by any stretch of the imagination, there, there are some, as you say, some very Q-like, which we've already highlighted. I think they're the things that have made us laugh the most. Yeah, is those Q moments. But as, as I say, come the end, it it, it gets darker and darker until to the point he 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 dies, and it, it's very very. It's, I actually, I actually felt quite sad when McGonagall died at the end because he, he, he just kept going and he was an utter failure, really. And it's only till after he died, he did get that that fame that he that he, he wanted and, yeah, and, and was known for his poetry in in no small way through the goons actually. Yeah, he? exactly. But but it's as as we know, Spike would be the first to have admitted that he was not particularly great at endings, writing endings. To no, things. no. And I guess this was the the only practical ending he could come up with, uh, and and he thought he'd play it fairly straight. Um, yeah, and, yeah, and fair enough, fair enough. Yeah, exactly. But I mean, anyone who's listening to this podcast who hasn't watched the film, probably thinking, "Good God, it sounds totally bizarre. It just sounds not not like something we would want to do." <laughs> if you listen, <laughs> if you listen to this podcast, you probably would want to watch this. Um, but I would hope so because I, I think I think it's a real interesting movie from from british cinema of, of the early 1970s yeah we were turning out a lot of sex comedies like adventures of a taxi driver and you know, adventures of a window cleaner and stuff like that and and also the um the comedy shows of the of tv turned into into movies mostly made by hammer films strangely enough all the on the buses films were made by hammer yeah that's right in fact which is uh... just Weird, really, but that just showed how far down the pecking order Hammer had gone. Well, famously, the first on the buses film was the second highest grossing British film of 71, after yes, Diamonds Are Forever, yeah, which is amazing. <laughs> what what was wrong with people? Is all I'm gonna say, <laughs> no, god, oh, oh I hate you, I hate you. Um, oh, you butler. yeah, um, I think, well, I think, I think the only two films that were successful. For me, that, that that made that transition were the Steptoe and Son films. Yeah, they were good. Um, yeah, Porridge film was pretty. That good. That was good as well. Yeah, um, and actually, I'm quite fond. And interestingly, connection yes. with this film, I'm quite fond of. A lot of people aren't. Most people aren't quite fond of the Rising Damp film, which was directed by, by Joe McGrath. Joe McGrath. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, that, that's. Um, do you know? I know we're going wildly off tangent here, but the the Rising Damp film was it was basically made out of like three or four actual episodes yes, wasn't that's it right yeah 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 but actually I, I still enjoyed it i do it's got one of my favorite gags with the cat explain about it lands on all fours and it doesn't <laughs> yes oh <laughs> <laughs> uh, dear joe yeah. mcgrath um during the making of this film wrote a poem wrote a mcgonagall-esque poem all right okay spike yeah and um, I don't have it. I don't have the entire poem here, but one of the lines 
was something along the lines of, uh, oh, <laughs> not only have you a reputation as a comedian and a poet, I will drink to your reputation with a chilled glass of Moet. <laughs> <laughs> and apparently Spike was so delighted by it, he, he had it uh, framed and hung up in his lavatory. <laughs> um, and I don't know whether it was still there when he hung up the letter from Lynn Frederick after Peter Sellers died, saying that um, Spike was getting nothing from, from Spike had written to Lynn Frederick um, asking if he could maybe have a few of Peter's films and things that, you know, Peter's home movies and things yeah. like that that Spike was quite keen on. And, um, and she basically wrote back saying, bugger off. And he had that letter framed and put in the lavatory. Um, <laughs> So um, I wonder if, if, if the McGrath poem was, was <laughs> next to it. <laughs> Maybe it was, yes. <laughs> um, so is there anything else about the film that we haven't touched on? I mean, there's, there's plenty about the film that we haven't touched on, but is there anything, you know, for the purposes of the, of the length of this podcast that you want to touch on? I think we sort of touched on everything. I think that, again, it's just coming back to stuff that Joe McGrath said um, about Spike, uh, even though we, we I've sort of said this as, a passion project um, for him, but he said one day he he would he would fight with 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 him about scenes, um, and he he'd go into almost like a a depression. Um, and he said they at the end of the day they had to carry him out to the car because he he's, he our legs would get heavy, they would disclose, and then that he just sort of shut down. But then he said on the next day he'd be agreeable and and he and he'd, he'd take on director's notes and everything. So I, I think it, I'm not saying it was, it was a difficult shoot because I don't think it was. I, th I just think S Spike wanted it to go right, really. It, 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 McGonagall was his hero. Yeah. Really, as much as it was Peter Sellers as well, uh, for, for that matter. So I think he just wanted to make it as good as he could, really. And, and there's no doubt in, you know, you can't say this, you know, this is a Spike Milligan film. You you can't get away from that. It's very much him. Yes, really. If you if you're going to get a film starring Spike Milligan, written by Spike Milligan, this is what you're going to get. In, indeed. Yeah, indeed. and I think if you if you go into watching this film with that mindset, I don't think you'll be that disappointed. No, and I want to I want to end just again quoting from this New Yorker article written by. Penelope Gilliatt. Um, so her, her piece ends, I think this is quite sweet actually. Yeah. Uh, she says, the whole story is draped, figuratively speaking, and often actually, in a Union Jack, which the goons were among the first public figures to treat as a beloved extinct object, dead as a doornail, but something to be commemorated. Their feelings about patriotism are both real and surreal, both skeptical and doting their way of seeing the behavior of late empire builders as a mixture of sobriety, endurance, and bashful arrogance was the forerunner of much of the best current humor in America, as well as England. Their film is delicately absurd and full of sublime falls from fantasy onto a trampoline of common sense from which we bounce upward, again revived and unbruised, except for laughing. Oh, that's, 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 a, that's a lovely... Hmm. Lovely review that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's not, it's not the greatest comedy film 
No, it's of, not. Of 1974. But... <laughs> no, no, it's not. Um, but, but again, I, I just think if that's what you got with Sp- Spike was, I mean, I used to hold Q up in very high regard. Um, but a lot of it doesn't work. No. That's it, right. It's very, very hit and miss. And that's what I say. This film, we, we said already, it's, it's like if Q was made into a film, this is what it, this is what it would be like. It's it's hit and miss. Yeah. Um, and but as, as I say, if you go in expecting that, then you know you you won't be disappointed because you you you, you know if you watch Q, you'll you'll probably enjoy this. I think so. Any Goons fan, any Spike Milligan fan, um, any British comedy fan, really from of that period, yeah, will get something out of this for sure. Yeah, and definitely. The music's great. There's some really funny scenes. I would I would say definitely watch it and and the DVD you know for for a fiver you pick up the DVD it's got a great commentary as well there's just there's, there's a lot to it and I would I would very much recommend that people see yeah. this out yeah and if you don't want to put your hands in your pocket it's readily available on YouTube oh, I honestly hope the inhabitants of the beautiful city of Dundee appreciate the poetry written by me and some of them I will hope will let a silent tear fall in dear remembrance of William McGonagall So Phil, listen, thank you, thank you so much. Now um, how are things going with the Who's He podcast? Oh, we, we, are, we are still going strong um, I, I, so I don't know when this is uh, when this is coming out but in, probably in November, December time. So November, early November, I think. <laughs> November. Yeah. So um by that time I think we, we should we should have said goodbye to Jodie Whittaker as the doctor by then. So right. that, that's what all, all us uh, Who fans are gearing up for. Uh, some people are glad to see the back of us, some some aren't. It's been a very polarizing period of um of the series, but um but I think that that's that's just fandom in general, really. It's, it's mm. you're either in one one camp or the other really and, and and that's it so um but that I, we're, we're, I still, have, we're still I going dipped, strong you know? I, as you know i've dipped my toe into doctor who the doctor who lake yes <laughs> yes or swamp puddle um, <laughs> um only only having watched the second series william hartnell doctor who yes because second you, end, you, second you, you came you came on my podcast look at planet of the giants didn't you that's right yeah yes um and and everything else about Doctor Who, I I've really only know just through secondhand or thirdhand through people like yourself and and other contributors to this podcast and people that I know on Twitter and friends of mine. Um, and yeah, I mean, I I sort of you know you, you cannot fail to be exposed to the some of the I just want to say it bonkers uh, speculation about what's going on in Doctor Who and people complaining about who the list. It seems to me as an outsider that everyone's always complaining about whoever plays Doctor Who, no matter who it is. Oh, God, yeah. 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 I think, I think that's, that's gone back right to its early days, yeah. really. Yeah. Really so. has. I think you can, you can, um, I think I did, I did pick up some um, letters written to uh, the Radio Times when uh, Tom Baker turned into Peter Davison. Um, and yeah, it, there was a lot of, you know, oh yeah, this is great. He's got, we've got a younger actor looking forward to see what happens. And then, and other people, it was outright hatred. 
without even seeing seeing Peter the poor man not even doing anything yet. There's yeah. outright hatred for him. Yeah. I mean, it, it goes back years. It, I mean, no doubt it happened when Patrick Trout took on the role as well. It's no um, it, it's yeah. always been there, but I've never known a show like it to to polarize its own fandom. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. It's crazy. Absolutely crazy. But that's why I like the goons. I, I, I've never come across it with, with, with the goons or, or Milligan, Sellers, Seacombe. Um, no one seems to be polarised about any of it. Well, as we know, at one point, Benteen was lined up to be the Doctor, wasn't he? He was, yeah. Um, and I could have seen that. I could have seen that. Of the it would have worked. Of the four oh, there was some, yeah, it was after, um, I think it's before, I can't remember after, before, after Pertwee. I think it was before, per, I think it was after Troughton, so it was going to be what what the role that Pertwee took, if you like. Yeah. Um, well, Brian Blessed always maintains that he was in line to play the role of the Doctor after William Hartnell. Right. Okay. Yeah, the, yeah, beggar's belief, that one. Okay. But uh, yeah. no, no, there was um, Ron Moody, was lined up to play the doctor at one or, or was touted. Uh, yes, you say Michael Benteen, um, Charles Hawtrey. <laughs> <laughs> oh, hello. Well, oh, hello. Yeah. Um, I can't remember the name of the, <laughs> I can't remember the name of the actor, but the character, but Mr. Pastry. Oh, Richard Hearn. Richard Hearn. That's it. Yeah. He was like, he's touted to be the oh, doctor. I can see that. Yeah. 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 Um, I think John Barron, CJ from Reginald Perry. Yeah. I didn't get where I am today. Yeah, Daleks. <laughs> um, and I think also Jeffrey Bowden, but I think he was touted wow. on, on a number of occasions to be that the doctor. That would be, I mean, yeah, that goes without saying. Even exactly. If even if you didn't know that, you'd think, surely to God the Bowden's been asked at least yes. times. Yeah, surely exactly, to exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so great. So, so yeah, that's uh, Phil's uh, podcast, Who See, which is um, available everywhere you get your podcasts. Yes, um, indeed, indeed. And um, wonderful to have you on again, Phil. Really, I really, really enjoyed, enjoyed that, that, Tyler. That that was great. It really was. And um, and uh, who knows? Maybe one day we will uh, we will meet again on this podcast. Indeed. Thanks again to Phil. Thank you for listening. Take care of yourselves. See you next time. Bye.